Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yordana Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf kaf hey, page 25. Another daf with two Mishnayot. I'm taking the first one this time. Yordana, you've got the second one. And we're talking again about topics that are not so Yevamot, not the Yevamot cases, not the not Yibum and not Kowais, which is, you know, for some people, I think this is a welcome respite, you know, from what's been going on. Um, and for others, you know, the topics themselves are still pretty heavy duty and can be uh, yeah, troubling or difficult or triggering. I don't know. Um, somebody who brings a get, a bill of divorce, right, from overseas, from a country far away. And that person, the person who brought the get, says, this get, this bill of divorcement was signed, was written and signed before me, meaning he's giving testimony that it was prepared within his in his presence. So the person who brings the get and says that I am the, I can attest to the fact that this get is a get, it's a valid kosher get, he cannot marry the woman to whom the get is being given, right? Meaning the implication being, he could say all that to set it up because really he just wants to marry that woman. So the answer is he can't marry that woman. And therefore we can accept his testimony about the get. The Gemara goes, uh, the Mishnah rather says the, the, that another case, right? Mate, if the, if there's a witness that the, that a particular man who is a husband has died or Haragtiv, or he says, I, I killed him or Haragnuhu, Haragnuhu, we killed him. Right? Meaning if you're testifying to the fact that the husband is dead, either by virtue of some other agent or by virtue of you yourself having been part of killing him, likewise, the testimony that the husband has died, that person cannot marry the wife, the widow, for exactly the same reason. Meaning it's, again, self-serving that he can come forward and say, I would like to marry you after I've just told you that your husband has died. That's not really considered worthy uh, witnessing, right? It's not worthy testimony, but right. So, but once he knows he can't marry her, then we're going to accept the testimony because there's he can't be coming forward with ulterior motives to marry her if he's not allowed to marry her. Maybe you don't ishto, And Rabbi Yehuda has a, a caveat here. He says, if the man comes forward and says, I killed him, then he can't marry her. But if he says, we killed him, I don't know what, a mob hit? I don't know. War? I don't know. But if, if if there's a plural there and a recognition that other people were involved, then you can't, then there, then his testimony is accepted, again, on this assumption that, you know, there's other witnesses to begin with, right? Meaning he's he's the bearer of the news, but he's not manipulating or or we're not worried that he'd be manipulating the news such that there are other people involved. So that seems to be a little bit, more lenient or easier of course we could ask the question you know why exactly would we assume that this woman wants to marry somebody who comes with this information to begin with although the divorce case is a maybe a good one who knows maybe the person who comes is going to be her savior and so she's she's happy just as happy to get involved in a relationship somebody who says we killed your husband i don't know i i feel like maybe don't marry somebody who's just told you that he's killed your 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 immediately former husband. Just just a thought. Okay. The Gemara goes on and explains some of what we've already just been talking about. 
Tama de Midinatayam, the Aliyah Kisamchina, right? So the the reason that we're talking about this case of the again where the the guy comes from from far away, right? Um, we're gonna alay kasamchina. We're relying on his testimony for the very validity of the get to begin with. So that's why we want to make sure that he can't possibly have a vested interest here, because the moment he's got a vested interest, then we can't be as confident that the get is completely. I mean, completely valid that it really happened the way he said. But if you have a shaliach, if you have a message reading a get and testifying to the fact that the get was written and signed before him and he's coming to divorce the woman, again, all of this is in the land of Israel, right? The the writing and the signing of the get where the husband is, is in Israel and the woman is in, the wife is in Israel and it's not that far away, right? So then he can, the, the shaliach, the messenger, can marry the wife, the woman who's just now being divorced, and nobody's concerned that he was lying in the in the establishment of the get because it's too easy to check, right? Meaning that once you're talking about that much more proximity, right, the, that much closer proximity, so you know the court can say, all right, we're gonna we're gonna just like send a messenger to double check in the other court, and they're not relying on this guy for the legitimacy of the of the get itself. So in the, so in the case of when everybody's in Israel, they're not worried about the the person bringing the get for the legitimacy of the get itself, and therefore he can marry the person who's who's getting divorced if in fact she wants to marry him, for example, right? And then the guy says, "Well, really, it says vahamet the lavalekasamchina." What about the case where the guy died? Right? The testimony is that the husband died from in far off, right? Medinatayam is it by definition means you know across the sea. The amar mar isha daika uminsva. So those cases were, were not, when, they, when the husband dies, the Gemara says, you know, we make sure that we don't rely only upon this one individual's testimony. So then can't you say that his testimony isn't establishing the death, in which case perhaps he could marry the widow? And Mara says, no, but the woman herself is going to be, you know, very careful to, to make sure, to investigate what really happened. Did her husband really die? You know, before she goes and marries again, she doesn't want to end up. This presumes, right, that she's not interested in in being even inadvertently married to two men at the same time. And so, in that case, right, like because she herself would be vigilant to find out did her husband actually die, then she's allowed to remarry altogether, right? So then, why can't why can't we say, well, she's so vigilant? Let's make sure that this same messenger guy who brings the news, perhaps she could marry him, he could marry her after all. And the answer is still no. He cannot, he, he cannot marry her, you know, even though she would be so vigilant, right? And the concern is, again, as we say, like there's there's too much potential for collusion. There's too much potential for conniving. They want to make sure that any second marriage for this woman is going to be on the up and up. I think it's really interesting how there's a difference between a case that took place in Eretz Yisrael versus the rest of the world. I mean, today, this is a great example of like how our world today is very small in that respect, right? We would have no problem sort of proving something no matter where the location is, you know, based on just the technology that we have. But for them, they really had to rely on like testimony. Like there was no way to prove these things. Somebody would just show up and be like, hey, I can, you know, tell you 
based on my one set of eyes, you know, that so-and-so died. And you sort of, you know, to make things easier for the woman, the Besden had to accept it. Um, but that's really not how our world works today. I mean, you basically can't do anything without it being at risk of being discovered, found out, you know, <laughs> shared a thousand times. Um, it's just, it's such a different way than how the world is structured. And I'm curious if this has any practical implication anymore for anything in Halakha. I don't know the answer to that. I'm just curious about that. In fact, I mean, it's probably it's a good things question. are actually made easier today because of that. Right. It's easier to prove but that. My question is, back in the day, let's say someone was in Bavel, right? Meaning we're talking about the Mishnah. I'm reading the Mishnah. So that's the text, right? When it goes to the, the Gemara, we didn't, we didn't get to the Gemara that's going to you know, or or any later commentary that's going to address this question. But I don't think it's a special thing about Israel. I mean, you could say that it is, but my understanding anyway was that it was about distance, that it was about the ability to check. Oh, I, it, right. it was the, the distance from the from the Bezdin. So the Mishnah is right, written exactly. in the in the well, I think that's a key point. It's the Mishnah is written in Eretz Israel. Right. A key question, which they don't bring up in the Gemara is, does this still apply to Bavel? Because in other words, theoretically, there were Batedin in, not theoretically, there were Batedin, there were great scholars in, in Bavel. So the question to me would be, okay, if you had a place with a large concentration of Jews, right? In other words, it wasn't travel with remote travel with nobody around. Could that maintain the same status as a community that sort of uh, large enough or sort, you know, that that people would know if you could verify things, basically, that's essentially right. what that mission. I feel says. like if there's a if there's a divorce in the area of Sura, and they send letters back and forth all the time to Pompadito or Naharda or Machos or whatever, right. all these cities that we know about. Uh, listen, Bavel is more spread out than the land of Israel. Israel was tiny then; it's tiny but now. You know, communication. We but know it's that. communication, it's exactly. Right. I don't know. The Gemara doesn't answer that question. I think it's a great question. Um, I'm going to move on to the next Mishnah, which deals with sort of an, an inverse scenario, which is So um, here we have a and the Gemara is going to explain what exactly that is. Is this a Chacham on his own or is it a Chacham who's part of a Beitin who makes a wife forbidden to her husband by a vow? In other words, if a husband or one of them makes a vow to each other saying they can get other so essentially they have to get divorced and we'll get into more of these details when we do Masachet Nedarim so they essentially have to get divorced because based on that nether that was taken uh, I mean it would really be more the husband does it to the wife because the husband could you know technically uh, date the wife so they have to divorce because they can't live together if they if there can't be any benefit um, and so if the sort of uh, Chacham enforces that neder, right, he, the Chacham could not then sort of, uh, 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 he wouldn't be allowed uh, to marry her so that, again, it wouldn't raise any suspicion that maybe he, you know, said she was a sword to her husband just so that he could marry her. Um, very interesting sort of suspicion of judicial abuse, which I just thought was fascinating. But then it goes on to say, Ma'ana, O Shachat but let's say the woman in front of this judge either did refusal, right? We've talked about this before, that if she was a minor and sort of uh, committed to marrying somebody and then decided that she did not want to marry that husband who was chosen by her family, 
or she did chalitza right in front of that court, yisa'ana. Then he, then he could, he could actually, he could marry her. Um, uh, these are things that have to be done as part of a. Therefore, there can't be any suspicion. right? Because these are things that have to be done as part of the beitin and can't be by themselves. So, you know, the Mishnah, so the Gemara, so it's a pretty straightforward. So it seems the first case seems to be a Chacham who's sort of acting on his own. And the second case seems to be a Chacham who's a member of a Beitin. So if you're acting on your own, that would seem to be the issue about why you, and, and you ask for that, get divorced. Suspicion that maybe that, that Chacham had their own self-interest. If they act as a Chacham in the context of a Beitin, we don't have that suspicion because, in other words, the same way that we said, if we have two witnesses, we sort of make the assumption that you're not going to get other people to go along with your scam, right? It just would be so much more difficult to do that. Um, and therefore, in that case, he could marry her afterwards. Um, and so then the Gemara goes on to say, yisana. So, you know, so the Mishnah sort of seems to imply, this is what it's saying, that he was permitted to her husband. In other words, he said, whatever, this nether was invalid or something like that. And later on, let's say she was widowed or divorced, Yisayana, maybe he could actually marry her. Okay, so what are we dealing with? We're dealing with one, meaning a single judge, right? A single chacham. So then I ask questions, wait, but a single person can't dissolve a vow. You have to have that be as part of a beitim. Right. And so they quote even a, 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 a statement here that basically says that, right? That says there's a break that says to dissolve vows, you have to have three judges. So again, they're trying to figure this out. How could this Mishnah have a case where this judge or this Chacham operates on his own? So rather say that, you know, could it be that this actually was a case of three? So then why would there be suspect of, of his judgment? Because we were saying before that if there's a group, two witnesses, three judges, we don't have the same type of suspicion. Right? And so didn't we learn in the Mishnah? Right? So this is what we learned in the Mishnah. That in other words, if a Beitin is involved, then we're not worried about it. So then the Gemara goes back and says, the case has to be about a single judge acting alone. Because Amar Rav Chista, Amar Rav Yochanan, and as Rav Chista said in the name of Rav Yochanan, Yachid Mumcha, it's a judge who, it's a Chacham who is an expert. And if you're a Mumcha, if you're an expert, then you wouldn't actually need this three-person Beitin. Hachanami Yachid Mumcha. So this is what this case has to be referring to. It has to be referring to a case where there's actually, a, a, it's actually a, a, a Mumcha. Um, and, and, and that's what it has to be, uh, talking about. So, you know, it, it, it's an interesting, uh, I, I think this Mishnah is very interesting in itself because it does conclude or it does have sort of an exception to these rules, right? Like the first Mishnah and that you read and the first half of this Mishnah is really saying, okay, if you, you know, seem to, if there's any type of suspicion, we can't allow it. And then the Mishnah concludes with this interesting case with the judge. Now, I, the same way, Anne, that you said before, it would be kind of weird if your husband showed up and said, uh, sorry, if a witness showed up and said, we killed your husband, even if that didn't mean that that person directly killed your husband, but they were around when your husband died. 
right? And then you married that widow. I think this is weird also. Like you did Khalifa in front of a particular Bezdin and one of the judges then decided to marry you. I don't know. I feel I still feel like that's not like good judicial um, behavior. So I, I can't tell if this was practical. You know, a lot of the discussions that we had with Yibum, I think were very practical just because based on like how people married and they married within families and sort of stayed in these small towns. I, these Mishnayos, I can't tell. I, I think the Mishnah you read, Anne, feels to me more practical than this particular Mishnah. Um, I think there's something practical about it. Listen, nowadays, I think the standards are, uh, leaving aside the notification, the death notification, right? But I think that for the most part, people try to have a get, um, you know, in person, right? But when you're talking, and we know too many cases, right, about Agunot, where, like, the goal is to just just get the get delivered because that's, you know, let there be a shaliach appointed and let's make sure that that it happens, then you really can have somebody come from Medinat Ayam across the Atlantic Ocean, let's say, for example, right, and and for the sake of delivering a get. So I don't know how likely it is that the, that the woman and the shaliach would actually have any interest in marrying each other. It seems, you know, too too quick, too transactional, whatever. But back in the day, maybe the, maybe she would have known the the shaliach, and maybe there's a whole, you know, there's a whole backstory going on. Again, we can make a soap opera here, right? Yeah, I that's an interesting thought. That in other words, like it, there was a lot more interconnection, and it could have been more of a possibility. Um, that that kind of thing could have happened. I, 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 you know, I don't know, but I, I, but I think this trajectory that we've gone from the Mishnahs on yesterday's staff, right, talking about somebody that you had, uh, you know, someone committed adultery with or conversion that let's say is not without motive, um, and then coming to these cases, it's a huge departure from Yibum, um, and I, I'm puzzled by why it's here because I wonder if part of what they're trying to like tease out a little bit is like how you know what's the motivation with Yibum when someone had to do Yibum was it with total pure intention I don't know I, I just find it interesting that this this landed here and not in Kedushin and I'm wondering I think, if it's trying to I tell think we're gonna see Yibum it though also. I think we're gonna see more of these cases in maybe in Ketubo but certainly in Kedushin whatever but I and Gittin for that matter, right? But the but I think also the next piece that makes sense at least in my head, which I haven't read ahead, I haven't learned ahead, um, is that we have this thing of, you know, establishing that the that the husband has died, right? In order for then to say that there's a zikat yibun, to say that there's that she the woman is a kukli yibun that if he's not dead, then she should not be having yibun with the brother, right? If there's no child, assuming there's no child. Right. So then this kind of this sidebar about what happens if you get a messenger about the divorce, the divorce to me is like it's just there because it's part of the Mishnah, because it was in the same kind of case. It's the same sock. OK, fine. But really, okay, I'm not fair. I don't know that this is true. Right. But my supposition is that really we're talking about how do we establish that the brother who has died is dead. And once we've established that, then we can talk about whether she, you know, does she have to have Yibum right. or Chalitza, whatever, from the that man's brother. Okay. I'm I'm willing to accept your theory. Uh, we can I, I, we I, can I, wait and see. We've got more yeah. Dapim in Yavamo. Yeah. Yes, 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 we do. 
Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.